0: everybody how you doing and welcome to the john riley project it's hey it's wednesday it's saint patrick's day um hope you're having a great day and if you're watching on the live stream right now you're probably wondering where in the hell am i um and i'm on a road trip and so the background that you're seeing in this video right now is i'm in an airbnb and i'm in an airbnb in bullhead city arizona and i was I think I hinted at this on my last podcast where I sometimes get a feeling that I just got to get away, get out. And because I work from home and live from home and I'm always home and there's the the pandemic. So I'm not out as much as I normally would. Um, And I've kind of gotten into a habit of probably being a little bit too much of a homebody. Well, I decided that I was going to go away for a few days and kind of take my own little personal sabbatical. Um, Mike Ryan on the live stream chiming in already. Roar! Yeah, so uh, the heart of the lion right there, Mike Ryan. Um, but anyways, yeah, I just wanted to get away and I wanted to break my rhythm. I needed a pattern interrupt. Um, and I've done these sabbaticals in the past and and I did one in August and another one in October, and it was really helpful during this whole COVID crisis and now I'm you know continuing uh you know what works, and so I'm here again, and we're gonna we're going to talk about um the immigration you know the the there's a crisis at the border already on the live stream, a couple of other people chiming in uh, Biden wants more spending, he's a radical well. Trump spent a hell of a lot, too. Um, We're going to get into Biden and Trump, and we're going to talk about immigration and a lot of things. I'm really interested in your thoughts and comments. I know immigration is a really hot topic for a lot of people. And I kind of have my own angle on immigration. That's usually a little bit different than a lot of folks. And we're going to kind of go through this and break it down. But but I just want to tell you, you know, I'm on this road trip. I'm going to be here. I've never been to Bullhead City. Um, This is, you know, right near Laughlin, Nevada. Interesting city. I mean, I got here last night and I got the chance to go out during the day here. It's a uh, it's a desert town and it's right on the Colorado River. It's like this amazing river that goes through this desolate, dry place. And the Bullhead City area has been built up quite a bit. And there's a lot of new construction going on here. And I know there's probably a lot of people here that retired. I remember, I think President Trump came out here. So this is probably Trump country out here in Bullhead City. And so I'm gonna poke my nose around. I'm gonna be here until tomorrow morning and then I'm gonna head up to another Airbnb up in the central Nevada area. And this is just a really good time for me to kind of work on my business and work on some things that I needed just to get some separation and time to really focus on my projects, my tasks. And so here we are. So I wanted to keep the podcast rhythm going Monday, Wednesday, Friday at two, because I know some of you like to chime in and join us on the conversation. So I'm bringing part of my podcast studio on the road. I have brought a, a, a really good USB microphone and I was experimenting with it and I was getting all kinds of background static. I know it would have been annoying for you. So I'm using just a little microphone off my computer. It's not ideal, but hopefully you guys can all hear me well. But yeah, right behind me, this is like a little Airbnb. And for two nights, um, yeah, thanks, Pat. At least I made my bed this morning. Well, yeah, I, I made my bed. So uh, this Airbnb is it wasn't very expensive for, it's like $170, you know, out the door for two nights. Um, so that was pretty sweet. And it's like a little casita next door to someone's house. So I've got like a bathroom and shower back there. And that's a nice seating here and there's a big screen right there. So Mike, Ryan, thank you. You can hear me great. Probably sound a little echoey, but I'm going to try to get, I think I need a new USB cord for my USB mic. And I think it's not shielded well enough. And that's why I was getting some feedback or static or even kind of a, a, like a, a whiny pitch noise which is different than my own whiny personal <laughs> personal uh voice. But um anyways, uh yeah, so I'm on a road trip and I drove my electric car out here. I charged in Barstow, I charged again in Needles, and then I'm going to yeah, I'm going to head up north. I'm going to go through Vegas and I'm going to work my way up north and I'm going to eventually get to Eureka. Nevada, which is like this old mining town. And I've reserved another Airbnb there at an old historic hotel that they've transformed and really modernized the inside of it. I'm really excited for this. So again, it's a great place where I can go be alone, work on my business, take care of some things. I had set certain goals for myself this quarter that I wanted to get done for my business in terms of building some infrastructure for some of the marketing I'm, I'm doing. And I need to get some time away and just knock it down. So that's why I'm out here. But yeah, today's St. Patrick's Day, and I hope you're going to have a great day out there. You know, I'm a, a big ancestry guy. I've been doing a lot of my family research. I need to go to Ireland. I mean, that's all of my family history. Um, it traces its roots back to the southern part of Ireland in County Cork and on the Barra Peninsula and also in that Kinsale area is where a lot of my family came from. I'm really looking forward to COVID finally being over because that's the next big trip I want to go on is to just really explore my ancestral roots and kind of walk on the the path of of some of my ancestors. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Pete Needs meal said, did you say Eureka? Yeah, like a Eureka moment. Not Eureka, California, but Eureka, Nevada. And it's on their moniker of a city is the friendliest town on the loneliness, on the loneliest highway in the world. So it's that stretch of road, like right through the center. It might be highway 50, I think. And I'm gonna take my little electric car out into the desert. This is also part of my perverse joy of trying to drive my electric car in the most desolate places possible and seeing if I can get from charging station to charging station. And and it's almost like finding oasis in, uh, in the desert. So looking forward to that. So I'll, on Friday, I'll do my podcast from Eureka and I'll show you the place. This Airbnb is nice. I mean, it's not the greatest place in the world. Uh, it's almost like a hotel room really, but it's in someone's, it's like the house is over here and then there's like a patio and a fountain. And then right here is like another little house on the property of this bigger house. And it's up on a hill. And If I go out through the those windows, if I open them up, there'd be glare all over the place. But if you look out there, you can see the river. You can see the um, the casinos on the Laughlin side of the river. So it's an interesting town. It's definitely dry and dusty and, you know, kind of has a little bit of a, you know. How do I say this? A. It's, it's not a soft town. <laughs> the people here are strong people. They're tough people. I mean, they live in the desert, right? So um, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm learning. I've never been to this area before, and it was kind of a fun excuse to come out here. Pete Neal says, loneliness is an understatement. Okay, so I guess you've been on that road before. Um, yeah, so we're going to go exploring. I've been on Highway 80 a number of times as a child when my family would drive from San Francisco to Salt Lake City to visit my stepfather's parents. And that's a pretty lonely drive too. But at least there's a number of cities along the way. I think on Highway 50, it's going to be even more barren. So we'll see how that goes. Okay. So um, let's get into the immigration discussion. And, you know, in this podcast, I like to talk about issues. Sometimes they're national in scope, sometimes regional or ultra local. Well, Immigration, obviously, a big national issue, but, you know, we're in San Diego County. So this is a, a kind of a local issue, too. It's important to us. There's um, Latino people all throughout San Diego County. Um, so this is obviously a hot topic. And obviously, the different, depending on what political party you align yourself with, there's usually very difference, strong differences of opinion on how immigration should be handled. But right now... The Republicans are are freaking out. <laughs> there's there's uh there's a crisis at the border and there's children that are being backed up and and oh my god, what has Biden done? And and then some of the national media are saying, "Well, now, you know, Biden wants to take his victory lap after he's, you know, signed this COVID relief bill, and all of a sudden he's got this problem at the border and what should we do?" And and the funny thing is is that You know, Trump obviously changed some of the immigration policies, but he built part of the wall. He he um, he prevented, I think, a lot of the children from coming in, mostly because he used the pandemic as an excuse to not let people into America. Um, But really, you know, generally speaking, our immigration policy as a nation has been the same for decades. I mean, again, Trump made a few tweaks to it. But they weren't radical changes. I mean, he talked about this wall, but really, how much of a wall did he have built? And frankly, it wasn't even a wall, it was a fence. Um, But a lot of that fence that was constructed was just replacing a previous wall. It's not like they built 2000 miles of wall. Um, So the immigration policy has been a cluster for a long time. Um, We hear talk from um, the different parties, we need comprehensive immigration reform but it never changes. And it's always been this grudge match. And so now here we are. Now, so we have children that are backed up at the border. And there's a lot of people in, in Mexico and Central America that I think had this mistaken belief that we get rid of Trump. Now we got Biden. Well, now they're going to let people in. But it's pr- proving not to be true. So before with Trump's policies, remember, families came to the border. They couldn't get in. Parents were separated from children, which was tragic. Um, people were put in literally in cages, like chain link fence cages and children separated from parents, both in chain link fences. Well, now what Biden has done is I guess he's relaxed a bit on the chain link fences. And the, and, but really, those cages were constructed when Biden was vice president. Right. They were constructed under Obama. And then, of course, Trump used them. And then the Republicans and Democrats keep blaming the other guy. Well, you know, Obama built them. Oh, no, Trump's using them. But see, it's it, it's they blame each other, but they never solve the problem. So now what Biden is doing is he's getting, I guess, HHS involved. And now they're putting the children not in cages, but in detention centers. So it's it's a nice building, but the children are still detained there. They, they can't travel. And what they're doing is they're trying to find parents and family that's in the United States that could maybe act as a sponsor to let them in. But a big part of the problem is, is that a lot of the families that are here in America, and it might be an uncle or a cousin or an aunt or something like that, that might want to take this young child in. They're afraid to do it because they may have been here illegally and they figure if they raise their hand in a crowd and say, I want to bring my nephew into the United States, they're afraid they're going to get deported. So there's a lot of, you know, the system is set up that is really, doesn't provide a really clean solution. People are afraid to act. And now you have this cluster at the border, which really has been going on for a very long time. It's been going on not through just the Biden presidency, and I call this episode Biden border crisis, but really it's a Republican and Democrat border crisis because Trump had his issues. and, And we can go back to the Obama years and Obama was the deporter in chief. I mean, he deported a tremendous number of people. During George W. Bush, we had a lot more illegal immigration that came to America. But then when we had the Great Recession, a lot of them went back, you know, because there wasn't as much work. So, you know, for the most part, a lot of these immigrants, if they come here illegally, they're coming here mostly to work, um, mostly to seek a better life. But in this case, we've got children. And the story is just tragic because in Mexico, in You know, Guatemala and other areas of Central America, there's like a tremendous amount of violence and and gang violence, and it's disrupted their communities and their parents, you know, just want the best thing for their child. Some of them have taken their children to the border, hoping the family could cross together. In some cases, the parents have brought the children to the border, hoping that the child could be, you know, essentially be an asylum case and then be picked up by an aunt or an uncle or a cousin. But there are also some cases of young children kind of traveling alone or or as part of a caravan. So it's really interesting what's going on. But if you think about it, you know, why is there tremendous violence in a lot of these Central American and Mexican towns? Well, a lot of it is the drug cartels and it's it's the gangs. And it's because in America we have a war on drugs and because in America drugs are illegal but there's obviously huge demand for them. So how do they get distributed? You know, through these these cartels, through um, through through gangs. And so they're the ones that are going in. You know, these these violent and we'll call them criminals are the ones that are creating all this disruption and all of this violence and murder and mayhem in a lot of these towns south of the border. It's no wonder that you know good families, good parents and children want to escape that. And they see America, which for the longest time was sort of the shining city on the hill. And now suddenly a lot of people are stuck at the border, including young children. And so it's turned in, well, it's not really turned into a mess. It's been a mess for a long time. And and here we are. So now it's gotten to the point where President Biden is telling the Central Americans and the Mexicans, they're saying, you know, don't come. You know, we we can't take you. Just just stay back in your village. Don't come to the border, Um, which then kind of goes back. And it kind of reinforces the fact that really, if you take away a lot of the Trump bluster and a lot of the rhetoric and really kind of get down to the nuts and bolts of the policy, how big of a difference is there between Trump and Biden? You know, Trump not only built part of the wall, but it was a tiny amount. And yeah, he made some adjustments to immigration policy during COVID, which was a convenient excuse. But and he also, the other thing that I get down on Trump is that for a lot of people that were here legally, he took away their visas, so student visas, and they had to go back to their original country, which is the ironic thing from our Republican friends. They say, We we don't mind immigration. We just don't like illegal immigration. But then when immigrants are coming here legally, where they have a a visa, whether it's an H-1B visa, you know, which gives them the ability to work in America, or if they come here on a student visa, Trump was essentially letting them expire or canceling them. So those people had to go back. So again, when you hear the rhetoric that our friends, our conservative friends, only have an objection to illegal immigration. Well, that's not what their their leaders have done. In fact, they've they've essentially kicked out people that were here legally. Um, so, again, on the on the live stream here, Mike Ryan chiming in. Without regulating who comes here, our country ends up like the one these immigrants left—not just Mexicans, but people from other countries as well. Well. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, like look back at history, right? Um, In the late 19th century and the early 20th century, people from all over the world came to America. They flocked here in great numbers to seek opportunity, to escape oppression, to escape, you know, uh, horrible dictators that oppressed them and kept them in poverty. They came here to seek opportunity. And by the way, that was during the latter part of, you know, essentially the time between the Civil War and World War I and then even a bit beyond that. Huge numbers of people. That's the whole Ellis Island piece, right? They came here in massive numbers. And you know what? It was a huge success. America was transformed from a kind of a backwater colonial agricultural uh, country that was really only on the eastern Uh, Seaboard of the United States And thanks to these immigrants We settled the entire um, You know from Sea to to shining sea They helped us settle it They helped build our economy Then we got into the industrial revolution And there were jobs and opportunity And the standard of living went up I mean immigration Is good for the economy Even if They come here as low skilled people it's still good for the economy because there are low-skilled jobs that need to be filled. And at the same time, they may come here as low-skilled, but then after a few generations, those families work their way up the ladder. If I go back and look at my history, when the Irish came to America, the Irish were discriminated against in New York City and in Boston. The Irish had to take all the crap jobs, but... You know, give it multiple generations, and then you have John F. Kennedy as president of the United States in the early 60s. So these kinds of things work their way work their way out. Um, Mike Ryan on the live stream says, "My great grandparents came here in the early 1900s from Sicily, became Americans, helped build this country. Immigration is great for our economy." Exactly, Mike Ryan. Thank you. That's exactly my point. Good people from not just Ireland, and not just Sicily, because um, great we have a huge immigration of Italians came, and the germans came and But on top of that, there was immigration from China that came to the United States, helped build the railroads um, in the western United States, you know helped settle san francisco um, we 've seen immigrants from all over the world come here. Voluntarily, with the exception, of course, of slavery, which I you can't really call that immigration. Um, But we've seen a great deal of immigration uh, immigrants come here. Um, But what I'm getting at here is what's the solution to this problem? What what should Joe Biden do? Um, And you know, Joe Biden can't really wave a magic wand because he has to work with Congress. I think a lot of people think that well, you can just sign an executive order and. He only has so much latitude to do that. And even Trump tried to do a lot of it, and he had limits on what he could do alone. It, the, Like I said, the Republicans and Democrats, they always talk about comprehensive immigration reform. And, you know, it's a question of do you secure the border first and then reform the immigration policy second, or do you reform immigration policy first and then secure the border second and that's the fight amongst the Republicans and Democrats. So the Republicans want to secure the border first. That's a big reason why they elected Donald Trump. But A, they can't secure the border bulletproof. Um, and then B, even if they built a wall, a big, beautiful wall, as Trump sold it, well, I don't know, like half the people that are in the United States that are here illegally, they didn't, they didn't like cross a border on foot where a wall would have prevented them. They flew into America at 40,000 feet, way over the wall, and then came to America, had a work visa or a student visa, and then it expired but they stayed in America and they remained here illegally. So there's no way they're ever going to really secure the border. Um, What they really need to do is really revise the whole process. Now, I've heard some people say that what they should do is, well, if If we could just make those countries and those villages where people live in Honduras and Guatemala and in Mexico, if they just had a prosperous economy, then they would never need to come to America. So how can we help them build a more prosperous economy? And some people think, well, we should do foreign aid and help build their economy. I'm thinking, okay, I get that point. But yeah you know, we we're learning over and over again this policy of nation building is being tried in Iraq tried in Afghanistan and that's really not the way to do this um i i'm of the belief that uh the the first thing they can do is just end the damn war on drugs i mean if they just ended that then that pulls the rug out from underneath all of these um these drug cartel guys and suddenly People, if they want to buy drugs in America, they could buy it legally and they could buy it more safely. And then suddenly you don't have all of this drug trafficking done illegally in a black market where the whole all the the business deals are enforced at the point of a gun Um, and towns are disrupted and there's murder and mayhem. I'm not saying we should, you know, proliferate drugs across America, but if it were legal, it would be a way better situation. It would be way safer, not just in America, but also in cities and towns south of the border. Mike Ryan on the live stream says, right and left have to work together. They are doing a very poor job running this country. Can we really expect them to figure out immigration? Well, yeah, that's, I guess, my point. The Republicans and Democrats have been you know, playing this political football game for decades, saying, We need comprehensive immigration reform. We need to secure the border. And then it never happens. And then this problem continues. And then meanwhile, we've got a so-called line of people that are trying to get in legally, where they have to wait weeks, months, years to get into America. And that's part of the reason why a lot of people enter illegally, because they don't want to wait years and years. A story I could tell you is back in the early 1990s, I worked for a Japanese software company and we had a small office in San Diego and we had a a bigger office in Tokyo. And we would have some of our workers from Tokyo come to the United States. But if they did, and they were here for, you know, a semi-permanent amount of time, like if they came for a month or two, no problem. But if they were here for a year or two or more, well, then they had to get a work visa. Um, and that's not easy. Uh, we had to go through attorneys to do the paperwork, to deal with the immigration administration and the officials there. And the attorney helped navigate the process. And it took like nine to 12 months from the time we started the process till the time our employee was approved and was able to move to the United States. So when they make it that Difficult that overly regulated, then, of course people are going to try to figure out alternative ways to come into America, in many cases illegally. Um, so again, I I I agree with you, Mike. I, I think that the left and the right, the Republicans and Democrats, they they just they don't solve the problem. And, and sometimes I wonder, do they really want to solve the problem? Does it maybe is it in their best interest? Just to continue the status quo, because it provides convenient talking points to their base that they can fire up their base, whether you're pro-immigration or anti-immigration or pro-illegal immigration or pro-immigration reform. It gives you something to talk about and to differentiate yourself from the so-called evil people on the other side. I just get flabbergasted by all this. And so now... The Republicans are shrieking, and Fox News is shrieking, even on the front page of the San Diego Union-Tribune, big border crisis, Joe Biden, what's he going to do? He just signed the COVID relief bill. He should be doing a victory lap, celebrating and high-fiving. But now he's got, again, more of these cases of children that are stuck at the border. So, um, you know, again, I I welcome your thoughts and opinions here on the live stream. Just uh, type them in happy to read them on the air. But I want to give you my, you, know, you probably are picking up a little bit of my perspective on this, but I want to present it, uh, really kind of present to you the, pro, the, the path that I've been on. So when I grew up, uh, you know, I was—I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and there wasn't a lot of immigrants there. I mean, everyone in my neighborhood was white with rare exception. Um Actually, when I went to high school, there were there were some Asian people, but we actually had a pretty large community of people from Samoa and Tonga that went to our high school. And that was cool. They were all good people. But, you know, this whole notion of Mexican immigrants and it wasn't a big deal, at least in my world when I was growing up in the 70s and early 80s. Well, then I come to San Diego in 1982 to go to college and, you know, we're near the border, right? So, Immigration is a bigger deal. And then I get out into the workforce. I'm working up in L.A. And this is in the late 80s and early 90s. And this is when the illegal immigration thing was really starting to pick up steam. And remember, we had a couple of propositions um, to really try to prevent illegal immigrants, not necessarily from coming to America, but to prevent them from having access to some of the resources. Like one of them was, well, you can come to the United States, but if you're an illegal immigrant, then your child can't go to school here. Um, and if you're an illegal immigrant, you're not going to get free health care showing up at an emergency room. And I remember back then thinking to myself, that makes sense to me. Um, they shouldn't be getting those benefits, but I don't necessarily have a problem with them coming. But of course, if that were the case, I mean, that creates a whole other set of problems, right? Where people that are here, that their children aren't being educated, people that are here that are not getting health care when they need it. I mean, that, that creates a whole other set of big problems. And really, a lot of those are problems that are way beyond the scope of immigration specifically. A lot of cases, this is speaking to the larger problems with our health care situation, Um and to our education system. I mean, after all, we've got people in America that don't have insurance, that are going to emergency rooms, that are, you know, getting healthcare funded by taxpayers. So it's kind of odd that, well, we want to prevent the, you know, the immigrants from having that access, but we still can't solve it for our own people, uh, the people in America. So I evolved a bit, and I kind of thought that way, but i I knew there were greater inconsistencies but as I evolved on my political journey, my philosophical journey, I began to change my opinions and thoughts on this. Um, now, I talk a lot about this podcast; our greater aspirational idea um, you know our, our larger purpose is promoting the our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When I really began to understand what that means, my whole perspective changed. And so, what, again, what does that mean, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? And how does that apply to immigration? Well, our inalienable right to life means that we are in charge of our life. We can manage our life. It doesn't mean that we are guaranteed to be kept alive and have other people pay for it, which some people misinterpret that and use it as a justification for single payer healthcare or healthcare as a right. Um, Your inalienable right to life means that you're in charge of you, you own you. You're not a subject of a king. You're not a slave you own you. Okay, now keep in mind that when the Declaration of Independence was written back in 1776, yeah, some of the founders had slaves, and there was hypocrisy and contradiction. But the philosophy is still right. The philosophy is still on target. We're still working through getting the implementation correct. There's still, we've made a huge progress and come a long way, but we haven't gone far enough. So if we have a right to our own life and then we have liberty, which means we have the right to choose, right? We have the liberty to make choices about our life. And ultimately, we're all here to essentially pursue our own happiness, to live our life according to our own values, to have the freedom and the liberty to live a flourishing life, to be all that we can be. And that's a wonderful message that we're all free and should have that opportunity to Yeah, to essentially live life with gusto. But the key part of this is it doesn't mean that just white people should have those rights, those inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It also doesn't say that only Americans have inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. In fact, if you go and read the Declaration of Independence in the preamble, it says all men are created equal. Now, keep in mind, when they said men, they didn't really mean male. I mean, men is one way of, you know, kind of referencing all genders, kind of like when Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. He didn't mean just men, just male gender. He meant humans. And the same thing with all men are created equal. That's important. I mean, what that means is, is that we have inalienable rights of life, or liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but so does that Mexican family and that Guatemala family and that six-year-old that's at a detention center in Brownsville, Texas. We all have those inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Well, so do the slaves. They were robbed of it. They were, their rights were violated. In the case of these immigrants, their rights are being violated. When I began to see it that way, Then, to me, this is what makes America great. This is what Ronald Reagan meant when, you know, America is this shining city on the hill that will attract people from all over the world to come here because they can live more freely. I mean, you know, granted, it's relative. They can live more freely than they do in other nations. They can pursue their happiness, pursue opportunity. They can be rewarded for putting in the effort if they do it right and plan it right. Um, America is a land of opportunity, and when we, when I saw it that way from that philosophical perspective, my whole I I, I changed, I flipped, and I became not just pro immigration, but I was like, well, why we should, these people should be allowed to come to America? Why are we preventing them from coming here? Now, some people would say, well, if you let them in, then everyone would come to America. You know, we would be flooded, but that's not true either because they're going to come here for jobs. And when there aren't jobs available, like during the Great Recession 10 years ago, a lot of immigrants came here to work in farming and construction and a lot of other businesses. When those jobs dried up, they didn't just stay here. They went home and they went back to their homeland. And as the economy picked up, some of them came back. Because they're they're here just to pursue their happiness. And then if the situation isn't right, then they go back. And I think that's fine. I mean, frankly, that's what America's history is built on. Is that it's built on immigrants coming to America, seeking fortune, seeking opportunity, seeking the ability to live their life according to their own values, in some cases to escape religious persecution, cultural persecution to have the liberty to live their life according to their own values. That's what makes America great. That's how America was transformed into a world power because of immigration. Now, granted, they came before Ellis Island. I mean, people just came to America. There were no walls. There were no um, regulations or permits. I mean, they just sailed in and docked the boat and got off the boat. And eventually they put in policies and yeah, there was Ellis Island and there were rules. I mean, you had to be coming here and you had to have a sponsor and you had to be free of disease. And for the most part, those are reasonable. Um, those are reasonable rules. But if you don't violate any one of those obvious problems, I mean, obviously, if you came here and you have Ebola, you're not going to want to come to, a, you're not, we're going to let not let you in. But if you are healthy and you've got family or you've got opportunity to pursue here, I mean, it should be, come on in, welcome, join us. Because that's what America is supposed to be all about. We're a melting pot, right? A place where people all over the world come here and they eventually become Americans. Now, there are some people that get angry about this and they say, and Mike on the live stream chiming in, uh, have a safe trip, John, great job, thank you. And Mike, thanks for chiming in on this. And I, yeah, I got some more in my trip. I'm heading up to Eureka, Nevada in a couple of days. Um, but ah, ah, assimilation is the other point I wanted to talk about. There are people that get angry that immigrants have come to America and they don't speak English, these people. And they they still think of themselves as citizens of their homeland they haven't really embraced America. Now, some immigrants understand what America is all about or is supposed to be all about, and they enthusiastically embrace becoming Americans. But yeah, there are some that come to America and they still kind of cling to their old way of life, their old culture, their own traditions, their own language. But those typically only last for the first generation of families as their children are born they become more americanized and as the grandchildren are born they're as american as you or me even though they might look a little different so a lot of times assimilation it doesn't happen in an instant it takes time so when i see these cases of children at the border and They're in detention centers. I'm thinking to myself, man, we're doing it wrong. (laughs) This whole thing is wrong. What they should be doing, as I said earlier, they should eliminate this war on drugs. So all the drug trafficking and violence and murder and mayhem south of the border, we pull the rug out from underneath those, those gangs and cartels, and we'll probably see a lot more peace and less reason for people to escape all of, the, um, all of the chaos, all of the violence. You know, there'll be people that probably would be content to stay where they are. But further, when people come to America, what we need to be doing is making the system easier, faster, and cheaper. Make it so it's like an Ellis Island where people can be processed quickly and move through rather than being backed up and waiting months or even years to get into the United States. If people want to come here and they are healthy and they're here to pursue a job and they've got family here, well, you know, they also have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those aren't just for you. Those aren't just for Americans. Those aren't just for white people. They're for everybody. That's the whole point of the age of enlightenment. You know, the Our philosophers went through in the time between, gosh, when was it, like, maybe the 1500s to the early 1800s. And people started talking about individual rights and essentially you own yourself. And this whole concept of self-ownership manifested itself in the creation of America, which makes America really a beautiful country from that perspective. It's a beautiful country that was built on really moral ideas. Now, granted, the implementation has been flawed, but little by little, it's getting better, and we still have a long way to go, but the idea is right. And so I see this battle, this fighting between Republicans and Democrats. I see the problem not getting solved. I see the issue being used as a wedge issue really as a distraction. I've always been of the contention that Republicans and Democrats, if you really get beyond the rhetoric and beyond the noise and look at the policies that they vote on, they're largely the same. They're largely one party. They're probably 80 to 90 percent aligned on all the big issues on military, Social Security, Medicare. Yeah, sure. Some of those parties might want to tweak it a little. You know, Paul Ryan and the Republicans wanted to tweak Medicare a little, but they don't want to abolish Medicare. George W. Bush wanted to tweak social security a little bit, but he didn't want to abolish it. Um, Obama wanted to tweak military policy a bit, but he still wanted to have presence in the Middle East and military bases all around the world and, and have an offensive footprint. So these parties may have subtle differences of degree, but they are really of the same kind. They are really sharing a lot of the same philosophical perspective on a lot of these policies. But yet they can't solve immigration. And I think this is one of those cases, that 10 percent where there is a difference. But then I also one, often wonder, both of those parties get huge, huge money from donate, donors, from corporate powers? Does the immigration system the way it exists today, kind of play nicely for certain corporate powers? Is there an establishment interest in maintaining the status quo? Maybe. And maybe that's why there hasn't been very big change. But then now, so now Biden's president, and you think, well, what the hell? You know, is is this all his fault? Of course, it's not. And you go point to Trump. Is this Trump's fault? And yeah, Trump stirred the pot. Trump made certain things worse. But really, this has been a problem that's been going back, you know, decades. Um, especially since the 1990s is really when a lot of the at least the latest wave of illegal immigration fervor really started getting going so again when you watch this play out in the news media the cable news they're going to cover it and you know the right-wing media is going to spin it one way and the left-wing media is going to spin it another way just really think about how both of these parties have mostly kept the same policy in place They failed to solve the problem. And just like Mike Ryan was saying, we need to get the left and the right to come together. But they won't. Now, in my opinion, I think if you got some of those Republican and Democratic senators in a room together with no cameras and no microphones and they're just hanging out, I'll bet you they're largely aligned. But The way the system is so polarized, the way the rhetoric has to be so amplified, the way the whole financial donation system works to their their campaigns, they have to stoke the fire of walls and other kinds of policies to keep them in power. So they use this as a wedge issue to prop themselves up and to get reelected over and over again while never solving the problem. So what we're seeing now at the border, I think, is just another example of this situation never really getting solved. And it just continues over and over again. So what are your thoughts? You have any comments or thoughts on this? I'm interested in your opinion. Um again, for me, the big turning point on this for me was the other guy has rights too. You know, we hear people especially our friends on the right, our conservative friends, our MAGA friends will talk about, this is America. It's all about freedom. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's supposed to be, but it's not just freedom for you. It's freedom for the other guy too. It's freedom for everybody, not just Americans. It's freedom for that six year old kid that's stuck in a detention center in Brownsville or or in a cage You know, down I don't know, do they have them in Tijuana? I don't even know where the cages are. They might even be, be in Arizona or Texas. I don't really even remember. But the other guy has rights too, and I think that's really important to understand. So I look at this, I'm thinking it's just more you know, it's just more nonsense. And and they still won't do the things necessary that not only could solve how immigration is processed. It's it's funny, by the way, our Republican friends want less regulation, but they want more immigration regulation. (laughs) They wanna make the immigration process more regulated. And meanwhile, our friends on the left, our Democratic friends, you know, at least what they like to talk about is making it less regulated, which kind of goes the opposite of how they wanna see the economy. It's funny how there's that difference. But man if 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 they would just end the war on drugs there would be less problems in in Mexico and Guatemala less people fleeing their hometowns and coming to the border and then if we had an orderly process to welcome people to America that was faster cheaper safer easier then we would have less illegal immigrants we would have a we have a better flow of people in America, people would be documented, it would be a better solution. Now, immigration isn't just citizenship. I mean, we have to separate those two. I've always thought it should be relatively easy to come to America to work, to get a green card, to get a working visa or a student visa. That shouldn't be difficult. But to be a citizen, that's a whole different game. That should be hard. Um, A citizenship should require really proving that you are dedicated to being an American, that you embrace what America is supposed to be all about. And I know to go through citizenship, you got to get tested, you have to go through tests, you you have to be in America for a certain period of time. I bet it'd be funny to ask some of our existing citizens to see if they could pass. The citizenship test, and I'll bet you a lot of them would fail, um, so again, I have no problem making citizenship difficult, but just coming here to work shouldn't be a big deal? Just coming here to fill a job that they want, and frankly other Americans don't want, then what's the problem? Um, if they want to come to America and they've got their own inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness then why are we making it difficult for them to come here? We have a Statue of Liberty, for Christ's sakes, where this is a symbol of liberty. You know, when immigrants come into the New York Harbor, they see the statue that represents freedom. And, you know, the whole give us your poor and huddled masses, that's how America was built. And now we're denying the poor, denying the huddled masses at the border because of some irrational fear and I think we can do better than that. So what are your thoughts? I've evolved a lot in immigration. I've gone from indifferent, unaware, to maybe believing some of the rhetoric, to thinking we should let them in but deny them services somehow, to getting to the point where now I'm thinking, if I truly believe in liberty, if I truly believe that we all have individual rights, inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, who am I to deny them? I mean, after all, my ancestors came here from Ireland. Wouldn't it, that would be hypocritical for me to say, well, you know, my lineage is okay to come here, but not yours. That doesn't make sense either. So I'm of the opinion we should let more people in. And does that mean there's going to be too many people in America? Well, you know what? More people in America, that's good for the economy. That creates more consumer demand for products and services that provides more workers to have more productivity, to innovate and create new things in America, to build our gross national product. More immigrants is good for the economy. People think it's bad because they think the immigrants are just here to get on the dole and be freeloaders. But if you talk to immigrants, they want to come here to work. They want to seek opportunity. Immigrants to America understand entrepreneurship to a far greater degree than a lot of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation Americans. That's why you go into a local store, especially in a big city. It's often run by an immigrant. Um, yeah, because they understand the opportunity, of entrepreneurship and the benefits that it, that it delivers and how difficult it was for them to be an entrepreneur in the country they left. Immigrants understand America often better than Americans do. It's amazing, isn't it? They get it. Because they're on the outside. Now, granted, they're probably getting some of the propaganda, the Ronald Reagan shining city on the hill. But if America, if America fully delivered on the values it claims to represent in the Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence, America would be unquestionably a shining city on the hill, far shinier than it is now. But Americans can't get out of their own way. They, can't, they don't understand what this nation is supposed to be about, and they want to keep regressing. They want to say, OK, I got in, my family got in, but not yours. We, we were, we're full. We don't have room for you. I mean, if that was the if that was the approach, then our families would be stuck in the nations that they came from. Heck, I, I'd probably be living in Kinsale, Ireland or on, on the Beara Peninsula of Southern Ireland if America didn't welcome Irish immigrants. I'm glad that my family came here. And I look forward to retracing their roots. And I told you, I've gone back to Butte, Montana, a lot, you know, certain portions of my family tree. They came to Ireland. They went to Butte, Montana, and they worked in the mines. And they eventually worked their way to San Francisco, which is where I was born. But it was fun to retrace their steps in the mines. And there's a huge Irish community there in Butte and and lots of Irish ancestry and history in Butte. Remember my grandmother always talking about Butte, Montana. This Butte, Montana. That. My wife and I went. I'm so happy we did, and I learned so much. Well, the next step is to go to Ireland. And Dan, when this COVID crisis is over and these travel bans are lifted, I really look forward to going. And by the way, Ireland, I've learned is from an economic perspective a incredibly. Um, wonderful place for economic opportunity in fact if you look at the freedom index that's produced by who does that is it the heritage foundation or it might be cato one of those organizations and they sort of rank the nations based on freedom mostly economic freedom although there is personal freedom but definitely from an economic freedom perspective in terms of um you know the, the, the easiness of creating a business, the ability to be minimize your taxes, lower regulations, et cetera, et cetera. Ireland is one of the top nations in the world, far freer than America. That's insane. That's unbelievable. That's not what you would expect. In fact, of all the nations in Europe, Ireland, I think, is the most economically free of any nation on, on in Europe. Again, we'll assume that. The British Isles are part of Europe. I know some people disagree with that, but that's incredible. Um, So, again, I look forward to going back, not just to walk in the on the footsteps of my ancestors, uh, but also to learn about the way the Irish economy works and how it may, in fact, be very, very much better than it is here in the United States. Okay. um, Let's get to a couple more things it's a 54 minutes so just just a few minutes so first of all if you've been listening or watching this whole time thank you thanks for listening thanks for watching you could be of so much help if you can just support the podcast if you think we deserve it give us a thumbs up um, on Facebook or on YouTube if you're listening on iTunes or social on, on Spotify or if you're listening on Stitcher or Pandora You know, go in there, leave a rating or even a review Um, on my iTunes channel. I think we've got about six or seven uh, ratings, all five stars. And thank you for those of you that gave us those ratings. But there's only one review (laughs) and it's a it's a it's a positive review. I'm very thankful. But more of those reviews is really helpful because it builds credibility for the podcast. It helps us build the audience. So I try my best to give you content to share my thoughts and comments about things that are happening in our world and especially in our local world in San Diego and even in my hometown of Poway, I try to provide something of value to you. Well, the way you can return the favor is to leave a rating or a review a five stars if you think we deserve it and just write like a two or a three sentence review. It's really easy and it would make a big difference. So that's my plea to you. Um, Okay, so Um, it's St. Patrick's Day, right? So I'm in Bullhead City, Arizona. I'm on my road trip. I went out earlier today and got a couple of things at the store and I passed by an Irish pub and I'm thinking, hmm, should I go there tonight? Who knows? Is it going to be crazy in Bullhead City at an Irish pub on St. Patrick's Day? It might be. That might be reason to avoid it. (laughs) So we'll see. But anyways, I got two St. Patrick's Day quotes that I think will be fun to to include or to conclude our podcast with. The first one is it's an Irish blessing. There's a lot of Irish quotes that are kind of categorized that way. They're old fashioned sayings from Ireland, or sometimes they have their roots in, in the Catholic church or, or just part of the whole Irish culture that have gone back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, but this is a great one. May your best day of your past be the worst day of your future. So that's an optimistic message, right? So hopefully all for all of us, we have great futures in front of us that we go out and conquer the world and live our life to the fullest, celebrate our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Be all that we can be and achieve success so that our life becomes better and better. So what a great blessing that is. And the second one is from American uh, general from World War II, Douglas MacArthur, who obviously a, an Irish name there. And Douglas MacArthur said, the best luck of all is the luck you make for yourself. This is a good one too, because I was going through a lot of other Irish quotes and there's so much about luck and almost like luck is this magical thing that happens. and And, you know, we live our life mostly driven by fate, that we have no control, that luck happens. And that's why some people are doing better than others. But MacArthur has an interesting perspective. He says, the best luck of all is the luck you make yourself. I mean, some people think luck really is preparation and then good timing. So if you are prepared and the time is right, and that opportunity presents itself, and then you can cash in, that you can seize the day. Well, that is, some people would say, divine providence, that's luck. But really, we control our own luck to a great degree, to a far greater degree than I think a lot of people think, to a greater degree than we're willing to give ourselves credit for. So, the best luck of all is the luck you make for yourself. And that's Douglas MacArthur. So it's St. Patrick's Day. So um, go out there. We're all Irish today, right? So enjoy the day. Enjoy the holiday. Be safe. Um, You know, enjoy yourself. And it's springtime is coming. And the world is going to be great here soon. We get through COVID. I wish you all the best. This is the John Riley Project episode number 214. We'll be back at you Friday from 2. And if I can pull this off. We'll be doing it from Eureka, Nevada, on Friday at two o'clock. So we'll see you later, friends. Have a great day, goodbye.